Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Good morning, everyone. There are some Sunday mornings when the pastor has to just get himself together. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if it happens yet this morning, but we're here. Amen. Hey, this morning's sermon is titled A Crisis of Belief. You know, much of what I'm going to say and share with you this morning is coming directly from our Bible study on Wednesday nights called Experiencing God. Just so you know, I'm sharing my heart with you this morning, um, but again, Uh, This Bible study impacted my life, our lives together, Diane and I, so profoundly 20 years ago. And and we're doing this Bible study again together on Wednesday nights. And and I just feel like there are some things about it I want to share with us, with you, the church as a whole. So much of what I'm saying is coming directly from the Experiencing God book and Henry Blackaby and his son. So we'll just get all the uh, questions about plagiarism out of the way. Uh, You know, most sermons in the Bible um, aren't original thoughts anyway, right? Great preachers all throughout the course of history have preached them all. But nonetheless, I just wanted to be really transparent and clear with you today. Um, But the fifth reality of experiencing God is uh, that God's invitation to join him where he is at work leads to a crisis of belief. Uh, But I would be in error this morning if I did not begin at the beginning. Don't worry, I'm not going back to the book of Genesis. Not going to be here all day. You're still going to get out of church before the Methodists across the street, okay? But I want to take a moment. I do want to take a moment and say this. What you heard from Morgan today what you heard from Morgan is exactly what, what you heard is what God's doing in her life, amen? But this is what we're talking about in experiencing God, right? Morgan knows and you know that God is at work around you, the first reality of experiencing God. And we can just hang out there for a minute um, because then we see, we, we know that God, um, God wants to have a personal and intimate relationship with you. Morgan has a relationship with God. God's working in her life. But what she realized was the fourth reality we'll talk about in a minute too, is that by the Holy, through the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, prayer, circumstances in her life and church, she realized God was doing something new. And then she realized that brought her to a crisis of belief. She didn't know I was going to do this to her this morning. It brought her to a crisis of belief, though. She said, I love my campus at Morgan State. People need Jesus on my campus. I want to to be effective in sharing Jesus on my campus. How am I going to be effective? So what did she do? She was faithful, right? She joined a campus group which I think is pretty cool, pretty humble, right? She just said, I'm going to go join a campus group, and that's how we'll start. But she knew then God was doing something, and maybe she wasn't sure everything that God was going to do last year when she started going, when she started going to Young Life. But then she sensed that God was doing something more, and it led her to this crisis of belief where 
where um, she is going to leave us even for a time um, because she is going to become an even more effective campus leader who's sharing the love of Jesus Christ with people. And she gets to do that with a couple of folks who are campus ministry heroes. And, and so, but what she has, she came to a crisis of belief. She might be comfortable here. She loves it at graffiti. She loves you guys. Uh, she loves leading worship. That's part of the spiritual gifts that God has given her. And she said, you know what, though? Um, and we will talk about this next week. Morgan realized that when she came to this crisis of belief, just like you and I, um, I hope you've had one of these in your life, where she was going to have to adjust her life to what God was saying, which took time. We don't just say, okay, God, I'm adjusted. I don't know about you, but I'm not a well-adjusted person. These things take time, right? And, and so she spent that time, and then um, it was time to obey God, and that's where she is. So, so this morning, we're going to talk about that uh, in some more detail, but um, Morgan, um, in what God is doing in her life, has just provided us with um, the coolest illustration of exactly what we're talking about. I'm going to miss you, and I'm going to cry later. I'm not going to cry in front of everybody. I already did anyway when no one was looking. But, and, and she's only going up the street, right? Okay, so Valley Baptist Church is right on York Road. Okay, so I'll tell you all where you can find her. But, but seriously, so this first slide here, this first um, reality of experiencing God is that God is at work around you. You might think, Pastor, that sounds simple, um, to say, but do we really consider, do I really consider what God is doing in my day-to-day -day life and how that is vital to the decisions I make and how I choose to live? Next slide. There's a scripture, John 15, verses 17 through 19 and verse 20. The word of God says this, but he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in the same way. Next slide. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. So, God created the universe. God created everything in the universe. He created everything in our world. He created us, his humanity. So this is God's world, and God is actively at work building his kingdom. Now, God's kingdom is eternal, right? Our world here, our lives here on earth, are finite, or the earth itself, excuse me, is finite. Someday it's going to end, but God is calling men and women to salvation. God is at work building his kingdom. So I stop, slow down my life, which you guys know, as a person in recovery, um, uh, I'll speak for myself and not other people in recovery, but sometimes I live at 100 miles an hour. It's 100 miles an hour or zero. There's, there's no speed limit for some of us who are in recovery 
uh, myself from drugs and alcohol. Uh, just that addictive personality, I go 100 miles an hour till I crash and burn, or I'm at zero, you know? And, and so we have to build in these self-discipline and spiritual disciplines. But, so I had to slow down my life and consider what God is doing today. So the first reality is God is at work around you constantly. This should raise my awareness about God's kingdom and what God is doing in his kingdom. Secondly, the second reality of experiencing God is that God pursues a love relationship with you and me. Uh, Bible, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38 say this. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. So I should love the Lord my God with all my heart. The Bible also says, though, in John chapter 3, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So what is God up to? God has shown his love to you and me through his son, Jesus Christ. We can be reconciled to God. We can be, we can be reunited with God. We can be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to come to earth and die for your sins and for mine. So, why would I love God? Because he loved me first, as the Bible says in 1 John. God laid it all on the line for you and me so that we could be part of his eternal kingdom. God loves you and he is pursuing a love relationship with you. You know, if you do not yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and yet you feel like something is missing in your life, or a verse in the Bible just is hanging around your heart or your head, and you just can't get it out of your mind, that is God dealing with you. He's calling you, he's convincing you, he's convicting you to confess your sins and ask Jesus to be your savior and be part of God's kingdom. God is your father and he wants you to be his child. I don't know how else I don't know how else to challenge you or even beg you or like the Bible says and Paul says to make a fool of myself so that someone might call on Jesus to be their savior today. Amen. So that second reality that God loves you and he's pursuing you. Don't let that get by you today. Follower of Jesus, don't let that get by you today either. You may, already, you may say, I'm already a Christian, Charlie, and I say, amen. But I say, you know what? God is still pursuing you, and God is still loving you. Um, you know at the end of the service today, we are going to have um, an, an altar call, an invitation. Um, we don't do that every week. And if you do not yet know Christ as your Lord and Savior, today will be that day that you can come forward and do that. Make that decision. Become a follower of Jesus and confess your sins and move forward in your relationship with him. Hey, it might just be coming forward to publicly declare your faith for baptism. Or you might want to publicly come forward today and say, Pastor, I want to be a, I want to be a member of Graffiti Church. I've been baptized. I love Jesus. Or I love Jesus and I might let you baptize me. Um, and I want to be a member of Graffiti Church. But then this third reality of experiencing God, not only is God at work around you, and not only is he pursuing a love relationship with you, but now God invites you and me to join him 
as he builds his kingdom. So God is inviting you to join him in his kingdom work. So uh, I love uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. Namely, the word of God says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, here's a good part, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When, you, when a business reconciles their books, they're making it right. They're making sure everything is right. You and I, we, when you become a follower of Jesus, that is not just fire insurance. That is not just so that you don't go to hell. Praise God, I don't want anyone to go to hell, right? But it is so that you can be actively involved in kingdom building with God. When you become a follower of Jesus, it says you become an ambassador. You become a representative of Jesus Christ. So the question now is that I ask myself, what kind of representative of Jesus Christ was I last week? Oh my, I can already think of a couple of things I said last week that might made you think this guy don't know Jesus at all. So all kidding aside, what kind of representative of Jesus Christ was I this week? As an ambassador, right? We have ambassadors in our government to our foreign countries with whom we have relationships and they represent the United States of America. But guess what? There are things they are supposed to do and say that they don't get to make up themselves because they represent someone else. They don't get to go over there and just say whatever they think. They represent the United States of America, uh, our country and our government, so they go over there and do what they're supposed to do, what they're called to do, what they're trained and educated to do. That's what you and I, who you and I are called to be, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Morgan shared with you today, God's called her to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ on a campus at Morgan State University. Some students might go there as Christians and say, I'm just going to live out my faith on campus. And that's cool because that might be what God's calling them to do, to just be a testimony on their campus, right? But God's called Morgan to go there intentionally. Guess what? Now sharing the gospel is number one and her education is number two. That don't mean you get, you know, <laughs> we'll be checking them grades. But, but you hear what I'm saying. God sent Morgan to Morgan. Y'all got that? She wore the shirt last. God sent Morgan to Morgan to, to further his kingdom and get an education. Right? So God is sending you and me to be his ambassadors and fill in the blank. Right? Fill in the blank. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ, and I just happen to be a pastor. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ, and you happen to be a college student. Or uh, you fill in the blank in your life. So, so God is going to communicate his message of salvation through you and me. So now this message of becoming right with God, the good news of the gospel, that we can be reconciled to God, this message has been given to you and me to share with others. So... Um, and if, uh, so the question is, the question is, use your words, Charlie, am I willing and am I actively seeking to join God where he is at work? I mean, literally, I look around, God, where are you at work? I told you, Diane and I, I wanted to go to New York City and plant a church because that's where Pastor Taylor asked me to come. 
He said, I could plant a church in Coney Island. I love Coney Island. I could live in New York City and still live by the water. That was my life. I lived on Chesapeake Bay for 25 years. Praise Jesus. I could eat Nathan's hot dogs on a boardwalk in the every day in the summertime. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And I can love to tell people about Jesus and live by the water. I thought that's where we were going. God said, nope. God said, Charlie, you've got to look around for a few more minutes and see where, see where I am calling you to be. See where Now, God's at work in New York City, but God called us to East Baltimore um, where he's at work in Baltimore City. So I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. But guess what? I'm happier and more fulfilled because the adventure of following God and joining God where God is at work is more exciting than doing what I want to do. It really is. I tried God on that one, and he proved himself. Amen? So we talked about the fourth reality of experiencing God uh, two weeks ago. And, and it's no secret, I love this one. This one's my favorite. Um, God reveals himself to us by the Holy Spirit through his word, prayer, our circumstances, and the church. So the next slide, uh, please. We asked these three questions last week. I'm not going to um, stay here long. But how does God speak to me? How can I know when God is speaking? And how can God be more real and personal to me? Ask yourself these questions um, one morning this week in your devotions. I love them because they're full of meaning. Um, next slide. So here's what happens um, um, when you read God's word. Then the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, takes God's word and reveals truth to you. Here's what John 14 and John 16 um, in the uh in the gospel makes it very clear to us, that's my grammar, sorry y'all, that the Holy Spirit is our guide, our teacher, and the one who reveals the truth of God's words to you and me. So we could talk more about this another time, but this fourth reality, the Holy Spirit will take God's word, prayer, circumstances, and what's going on in his church, which means if you want the complete story, you need to be in a local church somewhere as a follower of Jesus serving God, that uh, he reveals his will to you and me. So then the spirit of truth takes God's word and reveals it. Then you adjust your life to God through the truth of God. Following that, then we're called to obey God, right? Morgan shared with us this morning how she is obeying God in this next step in her journey. Watch this. God didn't give her the whole map. She doesn't know what she's doing 10 years from now, seven years from now. No, but you know what God does give you and me each? He gives us the next step in the journey. That's what he does. So uh, I'm going to pick it up, skip a couple paragraphs, and a couple of y'all said amen, and get to this fifth reality of experiencing God this morning, okay? So um, I don't know if there were any slides in between there because I'm just, I'm just going for it today. Um, here we are. Jalen read our key verse today for us. We're going to four things we're going to see here. We're going to camp out here for a few minutes and then go home. God's invitation leads to a crisis of belief. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be the one who rewards those who seek him. What am I talking about? Next slide. Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. If I can see it, it's already there. It's not faith. The hope is gone. It's there, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Or John 14, 12, consider this verse. Jesus said, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Hence that word ambassador, representative. Jesus went back to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for the saints. Amen. And he has chosen you and me because he loves us. If you're his child, if you're a follower of God, he has chosen you and me to be his representatives here on earth. Nothing ever made this more clear to me than this Bible study uh, 20 years ago that just really altered our lives. Then Isaiah 7, 9 says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. So, four things. Here they are. I'll give them to you up front. If you want to take a nap after that, go right ahead. A, an encounter with God requires faith. Sounds simple, but we're going to talk about it. B, encounters with God are God-sized. Encounters with God are God-sized. There are slides for each of these. We'll get to them. C, what you do in response to God's invitation reveals what you believe about God. This is right out of the book, right out of the Bible study book. But, and D, true faith requires action. So here's where we're going. We're going to spend the remainder of our time talking about a crisis of belief. I love this. Blackaby makes this statement in the beginning of the chapter, and he says there's a similarity between the Greek word crisis, K-R-I-S-I-S, and the English word crisis. So here it is. A very, um, a very clear similarity exists between the Greek crisis and the English crisis. Crisis means a turning point for better or worse in the progress of an affair or a series of events. Often we think in our culture and in our definitions, we think of a crisis as a tragedy, a trauma, or a horrible thing that happens in one's life. But it is not necessarily the end of something, but a critical juncture. So a fork in the road, a decision to be made, and the affair continues on. In this sense, John Rittenball says in BibleTools.org, a crisis indicates a turn of affairs, a turning point in a person's life. Now, there's a relationship to the word judgment in the New Testament, in the Bible, with the word crisis, the Greek word crisis. And if you're interested in that, uh, we'll, we'll study it a little more together. You can buy me a cup of coffee or maybe even lunch. I'm hungry now. And we'll talk about it. It may be the end, but then again, it may be a time where his or her life takes a considerable turn for the better. But this idea that a crisis is not just something terrible that happens. It's a crisis of belief. You're at the fork in the road. Am I going this way or am I going this way? And so sometimes God puts you, well, God will put you there and he is leading you. And you and I will choose either what I want to do or what God is calling me to do. So there is this crisis of belief. Um, wow, I'm getting, uh, getting a little crazy here, okay? So we must decide now what we believe about God. Blackaby, 
Blackaby states, how you respond when you reach this turning point will determine whether or not you proceed with God in something only he can do or whether you continue on your own way and miss what God has purposed in your life. I always had this like this thought, hold up, how do you miss something that God has for you? It makes me scratch my head, right? Because I can, God, we do have free agency, we do have a will, and I can, I can choose to go my own way. I can choose to disobey God, which is sin, right? In a little three-letter, one-syllable word there. Um, so we do have a choice in the matter, right? But here's the thing. This is not a one-time experience. Here's, this is what relationship is about. This is not a one-time experience. How you and I live our lives is a daily testimony of what we believe about God. Is God big enough to fill in the blank in my life? Or am I just going to keep doing what I've been doing? Is it working for you? Question mark. I ask myself that same question. So Hebrews 11.1 1 in the next slide says, um, excuse me, 11.6, that without faith it is impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God, we read that verse, must believe that he exists. Also, though, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We read those already. Um, so if an encounter with God requires faith, as the Bible says in the book of James, so faith without works is dead. An encounter with God requires faith. So that's what we're talking about here in the next couple of moments. Faith is not something that we attain that's static that it's just there and we have it? No. You see, the challenge is, and Blackaby says, Christians, as well as everyone else, have a natural tendency to try to build a life in which faith is unnecessary. What does he mean by that? I know, right? I had to, I had to sl slow down my, my thought process there. We establish a comfort zone, and I'm quoting him here, where everything is in our control but this is not pleasing to God. So what does this mean? God will allow things into our lives that drive us to utter dependence upon him. Now that can be scary, right? So then we will see his power and his glory. So what does he mean when he says this? Isn't it true though? We go to work, I thought about my own life, right? I go to work so I can earn money. I earn money so I can buy a home. I buy a home so I can say I'm taking care of my family or raising my kids. Um, I, I work and I do all those other things. I can buy groceries, feed my family, build this life, right? Uh, get, a, get a car and get it paid for, love my children and live our lives. Those are all good things, amen? They're, they're, not, they're not bad things, right? But you see, it's safe because I'm in control. I'm doing it. My neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, he, he's doing all those things too. So there's nothing, well, I'm gonna be careful. So most of what we do in our lives are things we could do whether we knew Jesus or not. I'm just saying, I'm, this is how I'm thinking. I'm not telling you what you think, okay? Now, someone might be saying, what in the world did he just say? Truth is, we like to be in control. Yeah, I speak for myself. I like to be the boss of my life. I like to be in control. I fight this in my human nature. You do too, probably. Fight this in your humanity, in your fallenness, right? 
But a life of faith says, God, you are in control, and wherever you call me to go, I am going to go. Whatever you call me to do, God, I'm going to do. But now we're entertaining the unknown. Now I'm no longer in control. God is. Is that a little bit scary? Sometimes. Think about Moses. Faith was required of Moses, was it not? God spoke to Moses, asked him to lead the children of Israel. Turned out to be a rowdy bunch of people, right? Told him to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. Moses was scared to death. Moses even made excuses. I, I can't do this, God. Moses made three excuses. He started to get on God's nerves, right? You've read that. It, it's true in Exodus. It required taking action. As a matter of fact, Blackaby um, tells a story in here about mission churches, and I, I, I think we'll forego that today. But God gave Moses a God-sized task. You're going to lead all these people who are enslaved to the Egyptians out of Egypt. Not only is Pharaoh going to let you go, but they're going to give you a bunch of stuff when you go, and they're going to give you riches, animals, and everything when you go, and you're just going to walk right out of the place where you've been enslaved to the Egyptians for all these 480 years. It was a long time that you've been enslaved to these Egyptians. Think about if God told you to do that or told me to... I don't know, God. I'll probably come up with some Moses excuses too, right? <laughs> So this is a God-sized thing that God called Moses to do, and he was scared. Sometimes we are, too. So sometimes I do think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well, because they obeyed God rather than the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar before being thrown into a blazing furnace for their disobedience to the king. These young men, probably not much more than teenagers, proclaimed, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us even from the furnace of blazing fire and the power, um, from the power of you, the king. Although nearby soldiers were killed by the fierce blaze, God delivered these three faithful men. Listen, we read this in the Bible, and sometimes it can become too familiar with us, right? We've heard these stories, many of us, since we were children. But what's really going on here is these young men were willing to go into a blazing hot furnace and die because they trusted God and refused to worship a man. They said, our faith in God, our trust in God, our belief in God calls us to obey God. We will walk into this blazing fire because we trust God. This is faith in action. Faith is not static. We also see this in the book of Acts. All throughout the book of Acts, the early disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in foreign languages that they had never used before so that people could understand the gospel. Peter preached, and 3,000 people got saved in a day. Peter and John healed a crippled beggar in the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 4, and over 5,000 people got saved that day. Listen, this became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, we read in Acts chapter 9. Now, Blackaby says this about us as Christians, and, and it's not flattering. He says, what our world often sees are devoted, committed Christians serving God to the best of their ability, but they're not seeing God. They comment, well, there's a dedicated, faithful group of people 
but they don't witness anything happening that can only be explained in terms of God's activity. Why? Because we aren't attempting anything that only God can do. Sometimes. Sometimes. I started thinking uh, about East Baltimore Graffiti Church here on Greenmount Avenue. Uh, I'm honest with you guys. Well, most of the time. And I tell you, sometimes I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I say, ah, oh, what the world have we done? Um, because, because starting a church here, um, starting a church here the way we did was going to be a, is a God-sized task and only God can do it. I yielded to God. We yielded to God. We came here. We obeyed God. But then sometimes fear can still kick in. Amen. Even though you obey God and you take that next step, right, fear can kick in. How in the world at a little mission church are we going to have somewhere to worship? How are we going to, how are we going to pay this bill or that bill? This is only God can do this. Sometimes I'm fearful instead of faithful because I know that this is something that only God can do. It is so much bigger than you and me. God is at work saving people, working for his eternal kingdom, and he is simply inviting you and me to join him in that. We had no idea where the money was going to come from to start a church. We had no idea who God was going to save to join this church, to join us in this work. You talk about college students and collegiate ministry. This church wouldn't be here were it not for collegiate ministry and college students. Some of them are still sitting here today. Why? just the way God chose to do it. Some college students saw God at work in Baltimore City and decided to come down to Greenmount Avenue and tutor kids and tell people about Jesus. Or to do, uh, to do, to do four weeks of sports camp with 100 rowdy kids in the park. They said, God's doing something. Let's go check it out. They obeyed. We didn't know how God was going to do this. Diana and I committed to obeying God and coming to Baltimore. I didn't say we don't have, I don't have uh, 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 fearful thoughts or thoughts of how I could mess this up or, uh, you know, in, in my humanity, I could still mess it up if I don't continue in the path of, uh, of joining God. So we said, okay, God, we trust you. A lot of mistakes have been made along the way, most of them by me parenthetical statement but God has God's desire excuse me grammatical error I had this hand thing going on so I tried some uh, what do you call it dictation yeah I tried some dictation yesterday so God called us here to do this work we simply adjusted our lives which took place over about 18 months we said God if you're not sending us to New York maybe you're sending hey we've done ministry in Philadelphia with students for many years. We went to Philadelphia and prayer walked, ate some food too. But nonetheless, uh, you want a good cheesesteak? I can tell you where to go. We, we went to Wilmington, Delaware. We went to Washington, D.C. I was born and raised in and around Washington, D.C. My parents are native Washingtonians. Hey, why not D.C.? I know my way around, right? God said, nope. So encounters with God are God-sized. Don't be afraid of them. What we do in response to God's invitation reveals what you and I believe about God. So you know in 1 Samuel 16 tells us God chose David and had Samuel anoint him to become the king. But guess what? 
Well, God brought David into the middle of his activity. It was 20 years before David, Samuel uh, anointed him, but it was 20 more years before David became the king. David, uh, David did not get the throne immediately. He arrived on the battlefield and saw this nine-foot-tall soldier who was taunting the Israelites and challenging them to send a man to fight him. You know the story. The losing nation would become slaves of the winning nation. Israel's army was terrified. Yet David, what did David say? He asked in amazement, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David faced a crisis of belief. He had to recognize that God brought him to the battlefield and prepared him for the assignment. Y'all all know how it turned out, right? Spoiler alert, right? Yeah, David killed a giant, right? He stated his belief that the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Amen? David exercised his faith in God and killed Goliath. Listen, this leads us directly to our last point. D, true faith requires action. True faith is not static. True faith requires action. In all these biblical examples, what people did uh, with their faith or the lack of it even. We didn't talk about Sarah, right? What did God do when Sarah said, when she was 70-some, 80 years old, told her, you're going to have a baby? Don't y'all remember? She giggled, right? God heard her giggle. She did. She laughed. And then, as time went, more time went by, God told Abram, you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. Sarah's like, really, dude? Really? You see how old I am? So Sarah decided she would be in control and she, will, she would do God's work for him. So she gave Abram another woman to have a baby with because she was so old, she didn't have a vision for a miracle from God. So what did she do? Sent Hagar and Hagar had a baby by Abram and that was not God's plan. What did her unbelief do? It caused her, Abram, Hagar, Ishmael, a whole lot of grief in all of their lives. And even in many succeeding generations, uh, the, descendants of, um, the descendants of Ishmael and their battle against uh, and hatred towards the Israelites and one another, all because Sarah didn't believe uh, what God was going to do. So... Just to say, we have to be careful. We can miss the activity of God, and there are consequences sometimes for our disobedience. She lacked the faith to believe God could do the impossible. Her faith in God was limited by her human reasoning. Sometimes my faith in God is limited by what I can see, my human reasoning. So what you and I do not, um, what you and I... Do, yeah, use your words, Charlie. What we say reveals what we really believe about God. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, the Bible says in James 2, so also faith without works is dead. Faith requires actions, friends. As we listen in Hebrews 11, we do see in this great hall of faith all of these great men and women uh, who did exercise their faith who did believe God. Now listen, some realized their goals. If you go home and read that, some realized their goals and some did not. 
Were they failures? No. Why? They believed God. They followed after God. And some of them suffered and died and did not realize the goal that they had set out to reach, but it doesn't mean they weren't faithful. So today in closing, um, you'll see some of the questions on the back of the paper. It'd be great just to take that home, use it for your devotions one day this week. Um, are you presently experiencing a crisis of belief? If so, what is God asking you to do? It may go all the way back to this first and second reality of experiencing God. Maybe God is calling you into a relationship with him, and today's the day of your salvation. And maybe your first act of obedience to God will be coming to Christ today. Or number two, what does your present walk with God reveal about what you believe about him? Sometimes my faith is small. I confess it. Like Morgan on her campus at college, are you and I ready to step out on faith, adjust our lives, obey God, and go where he is calling us to go? What is the evidence of God at work in and through your life? That was the toughest one for me. What is the evidence of God at work in and through your life? What in your life or the life of your church can only be explained by the presence of Almighty God? Now, I like that one. The simple fact that our church is even present here is a testimony of, of something God-sized that could never be done by just us. But God is planned something far better for you and I when we obey. So, in closing today, if you need to answer one of those critical questions, you know, or maybe God's calling you to the point of obedience. I think next week we may talk about what it means to adjust our lives to God and what that looks like.